Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to the Kudzu Radio Hour, number 116, with Buffalo and Billy and Jim and Patrick. Yes, that's right. Four. Four. Count them four guys who love music. This podcast was recorded on Saturday, August 15th, 2020, and we hope you enjoy it. Today's topic is going to be deep cuts and B-sides. The podcast is brought to you today by that little old band from L.A. called the Boxmasters, who have a smoking hot new platter out called Light Rays. It's getting rave reviews coast to coast and around the world. Light Rays features the hit single Breathe Easy, along with a box full of other great tracks, and in my opinion, it's the band's best LP ever. The album will be available on CD, vinyl, and downloads in September. And mark your calendar, the summer tour had to be postponed because of the COVID virus, but is scheduled for next summer, and the boys are already chomping at the bit to play for you. The tour will include the good old USA as well as Europe. How about that? Can you see it? The Boxmasters over in Paris? In London. <laughs> I love it. Read all about the new album, the tour, and much more at theboxmasters.com. That's theboxmasters.com. And follow them on your social media, Facebook and Instagram. They have a really great Instagram page with pictures every day. Check it out. The Box Masters. Also brought to you by the phone folks. <laughs> Try that again, Michael. Brought to you by the five folks at Springer Mountain Farms. Fresh organic chicken responsibly raised on family farms. With no antibiotics, no hormones, no steroids, no animal byproducts ever. It's all natural. Get more information or order online at SpringerMountain.com. SpringerMTN.com. Not only is Springer Mountain chicken healthier for you, but it tastes mm-mm good. Mighty fine, mighty fine stuff. We're going to kick things off today with a great song from the Outlaws. I just uh, yesterday did an, a video interview with former member of the Outlaws, Billy Crane. And I hope you'll check that on my YouTube channel, uh, the Ambassador of Southern Rock channel at YouTube. And uh, we're going to kick things off. This is from the, uh, not the brand new album, but the album before that. The title track is called It's About Pride. It's a serious seriously rocking southern rock song so here we go without further ado we'll be back with the boys right after the outlaws i'm proud to be a part of something that started long ago Southern band of brothers Bound together by the road We came from Florida, Georgia, Carolina, Tennessee With gold guitars, tattoos, and scars Straight from the heart of Dixie And our rebel pride It's about pride It's about who it's knowing where we've been and how we've come so far From the colors that we fly 
away We know we are inside It's about pride Midnight rider memories Forever haunt this town Fire on the mountain To the voice that can't you see The reason sweet home Alabama Means so much to me It's about pride It's about who we are Knowing where we how we've come so far From the colors that we find Down to all the reasons why We can't take away who we know we are inside Like a faded southern uniform Hair is turned to gray Now we play for all our heroes That we lost along the way But the spirit of the faithful Never let the music die and There's a brand new generation To carry on our battle cry In our rebel pride it's about pride It's about who we are It's knowing where we've been And how we've come so far From the colors that we find Down to all the reasons why We can't take away Who we know we are inside
Yes, sirree. That was, of course, the mighty Outlaws and a song called It's About Pride. Mr. Henry Paul there on the vocal and Mr. Billy Crane on guitar and Chris Anderson on guitar. It's very good. Welcome to the latest episode of the Kudzu Radio Hour podcast. That's right. And I want you to please make welcome my long-standing partner in crime, um, a man who inevitably will choose as one of his deep cuts, Daddy Don't You Walk So Fast by Wayne Newton. Ladies then and gentlemen, my first joy. <laughs> and his second one will be the Osmonds Crazy Horses. Ladies and gentlemen, Billy Eli. Our returning uh, champion. I always want to say, Eli's coming. Yeah, you do that every time I see you in person. Yeah, I know. And that, and that people go, well, how do you know? And I'll go, because he was breathing heavy. Okay. Um, yeah, I thought we were supposed to be told. I thought Anchor told us. To yeah, I know, I know. Well, I, uh, yeah, that's, that's right. I was so born we, to break the be, rules. We, born to be we bad. We say goddamn, but we can make cum jokes. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I didn't say, no, no I'm going to have to edit all that I, I out. Just, Thanks, I Billy. <laughs> Thanks, Billy. A little extra work never killed me, but yeah, 14 yeah, times. Yeah. Anyway. Anyway, uh, and also joining us, as usual, our new firmly implanted and entrenched co-host, Two guys from Austin, Texas, and I've got nothing really cool to say this week about them except for they're pretty groovy. <laughs> you could have stopped at pre. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, yeah it's all. Yeah, but it's he's, all talking BS. About, he's talking about you too. <laughs> no, I'm not talking about you too. I'm talking about. I he Patrick. could have stopped it pretty, but I always try to tell the truth or the closest thing that works. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Patrick Beach. Hello. And Jim Hemphill. Hey, Buff. I would like to say that Patrick Beach is not named after a beach. Well, he is the son of a beach, but that's all different. I am. And, I am. Uh, and Jim Hemphill. Uh, I keep wanting to ask him if he's related to the famous Southern Gospel group, the Hip Hills, but he uh, is. Oh, I figured he probably was. I I was really close with them back when I was a gospel DJ, and um, great peoples. They were really great, and they had some really rocking, uh, <laughs> rocking gospel songs. Man. I'm not kidding. Yeah. Um, all that being said, today's topic is going to be deep cuts or B sides. Or besides deep cuts, B-sides. What does that mean? I don't know. I'm just talking too much. But before we do all that, it's that part of our program that we love to do. Oh, and even before we do that, I've got to say that uh, I did want to throw out there that the uh, to please visit, visit kudzumag.com, K-U-D-Z-O-O-M-A-G.com for the latest issue of Kudzu Magazine. And we will be posting a brand new one on September 1st with a cover story interview with the great Dan Penn and an archival mm. and an archival interview uh, that kind of goes uh, well my, my mind just went sidetracked well anyway Dan Penn's the cover story and we've got a new hot southern rock band called the Georgia Thunderbolts got an interview with them and um 
Some other great stuff that I can't think of because I didn't write it down. How about that? I wanted to say also quickly, um, I have launched the, this week I launched a new channel on YouTube called The Ambassador of Southern Rock. And I've got three interviews up there already, including an uh, interview with the head road manager of the original Molly Hatchet, a guy whose nickname is Jughead. And not to be confused with Archie. And also yesterday I interviewed Billy Crane, brother of the late great Tommy Crane, who played with the Outlaws. And um, so anyway, please go to Ambassador of Southern Rock on YouTube and subscribe. And also please support this cause. This is a cause near and dear to me. Go to www.saveourstages.com yes. and sign up. Yes, sign up to uh i did it and they automatically send your letter to your local congressman and people like that asking them to save our stages and don't let live music die out because of the covid please 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 do anything you can because a world without music would be no world at all not for me not for me at all i mean and I was just listening to, because next week we're going to talk about the greatest live albums. So I was already listening to some great live stuff in those massive crowds and thinking, you know, I want that again. <laughs> and mm-hmm. I want the small crowds again and the bars and uh, going in and seeing, you know, freaking Billy Eli play uh, and the, the fantastic spook lights. I'd, 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 be, I'd be okay without you can you can do without that. <laughs> not me, man. I'll you tell you what. Live music and everything, but not that. <laughs> no, no. Billy Eli's. Uh, I'm sorry. It's not just because he co-hosts this thing, but Son of a Gun is a good entertainer and a great songwriter. Yes, so, he is. Yes, he is. Yes, I mean, fantastic. Right. He could use an upgrade on the guitar slot. But. <laughs> yeah. Now, I don't know. That, that guitar of his is kind of magical. If you ask I think me. he's talking about the player. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> I think he's talking. I think. I think I'm talking about his lead player. Uh, oh, the lead player. He was yeah. the lead player is pretty doggone good. He played on my album. I heard. I heard his lead player stuffs a cucumber down his pants. <sighs> well, it's got to have it's got to have something I'm for not, company I, down there. I'm a, I'm a, I'm avoiding this conversation. Well, little Jim's got to have some company, okay? Uh, anyway, uh, I don't even know what that means, and don't care. Uh, that's that's what's so serious is after the after a few beers, you just don't care. Not that I'm drinking or advocating drinking. I've actually got to the point where I can just not I can just not care before i even start drinking well you know i quit i quit drinking um until i you know i quit drinking until i started using a funnel and um no anyway i don't know what that means <laughs> I, I just funneling in doing that just yeah okay recommendations we're gonna do our recommendations all right, all right. and uh guess who's gonna go first me because I have such a freaking big ego. No, I don't really have any ego or any confidence, but I'm still going to go first just because I want to give Billy something to steal from. Uh, 
Oh, no, Billy said he wasn't doing it this week. I'm he was, setting out this he's week. He's setting man. it out because he's been working on his schooling, and uh, we fully understand that. you got to you got to get Take ready. Take school. Don't use drugs. There you go. <laughs> right. Thank you, Almost <laughs> that was, Famous. That was, that was what I wanted to say. You're, you're that a real was, Nancy Reagan there, Billy. I watched, I watched uh, <laughs> Almost Famous again last week, and I just love that when Frances McDormand when she lets him out at the concert and yells across the crowd, don't do drugs. <laughs> the kid looks like, oh, please. Oh, please. But uh, anyway, book. Um, this is per- pretty weird. Uh, I put a little thought into it this week. Unlike some people. Uh, I, I'm not sure about that. Oh, shut up, Alexa. <laughs> she says, I'm, I'm not, not sure, sure about, about that. that. <laughs> Golly! You got a wise, wise acre Alexa there. I do. She's a, she needs to be spanked. You you said I put I put a lot okay, of thought into it. Are, and she said I don't know about that. We're about to be tossed off the platform if you continue down this avenue. Well, you know, okay. cyber spanking is. I don't think that's off limits. Uh, the book is actually a grass grass. grass? Yeah, it's grass because I wanted to keep up with the trees that uh, Patrick... No. It's a graphic novel collection. All four volumes of the graphic novel of the complete Howard the Duck. That's right, (laughs) folks. Created by Steve Gerber, Marvel Comics 1975. Howard Duck is a wise, quacking uh, duck who looks a lot like that Disney duck, except for he smokes a cigar and he's got a bad attitude. Uh, Howard was trapped in a world he never made, meets and falls in love with a pretty girl, a model no less, named Beverly, ran originally 30 issues or something like that before becoming a black and white comic magazine and then going back into color. So the volumes contain every Howard tale including special appearances in Man-Thing, Spider-Man, etc. like this. First ever comic appearance of the rock group Kiss was in Howard the Duck. I didn't know that. Yeah, two issues that were in there. And because of that, they um, those two issues are extremely rare. I've got them, but they're extremely rare uh, in the Kiss fan world. But um, that's what caused Stan Lee to give them their own Kiss comic book. Uh, and all that kind of stuff. So, from 1975 until the 90s, I looked high and low for a copy of Howard the Duck number one. It was rare as duck teeth. My friend, the late great Bill Hudson, had it, and I was so jealous. During the early days of eBay, I would find it find uh, number one on there, but it was like hundreds of dollars, and I'm like, come on. Long story short, early 2000s, after interest had waned in the duck, I bought two copies of issue number one for three bucks a piece. (laughs) But with all the issues collected in this decidedly adult graphic novel series, I don't even need the individual ones, but who would have thunk it? I'm uh, still holding on to them because, yes, I am a pack rat. That's true. That's true. Movie. I apologize in advance for my long descriptions, but like I said, I like to put a little thought into it. I watched this great movie again last week. Yes, it's a rom-com. I'm sorry, but I'm a Cameron Crowe fan, and uh, 
I, after naming Almost Famous recently as one of mine, and, you know, when I first started writing rock and roll stuff, I studied Cameron Crowe and Rolling Stone, Lester Bangs, and Hunter Thompson. Those are my, guy, my three guys. The the uh, trilogy, so to speak. Uh, I don't know if that's right or not. The uh, uh, My mind is not working properly. I do apologize. Cameron Crowe. Yes, that's right. Uh, I already said that part. Yeah. Uh, and then I said Cameron's uh, Almond Brothers cover store in the 70s was written when he was just 16 and he would later become an accomplished screenwriter and director including the almost famous and things like that and fast times at ridgemont high blah 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 but my movie is elizabeth town uh elizabeth town yeah it's a rom-com but the music in the movie is off the chain as usual with cameron tom petty and a bunch of great stuff orlando bloom is uh Stars in the extremely way too cute Kirsten Dunst. Uh, also, Susan Sarandon, Janet Schmanet is in there. And uh, interesting uh, smaller roles from uh, Gaylord Sartain from Hee Haw. <laughs> and it's interesting to see Loudon Wainwright in the movie. Um, dead skunk in the middle of the road guy. Uh uh anyway uh the whole thing is a 20 something year old guy blows a billion dollar account with a ma uh, major athletic shoe manufacturer his boss is played by alec baldwin sends him packing fate steps in when he meets uh the stewardess on a plane and then he gets called back he's gonna you know because he's lost all that money he's gonna commit suicide but then his dad dies and he has to go back to kentucky pick up his dad Ends up cremating him, carrying his ashes across the country, scattering them. It's a very sweet thing that he's scattering his dad's ashes in all these important places like uh, uh, there in Memphis where Dr. King was killed and uh, on the Mississippi River, etc., etc. And I'm like, yeah, that was his dad all over. Um yeah, and also uh, there's a there's a pretty cool thing when he's shopping for urns is they show the kiss urn in there. <laughs> yeah, that's what I want is the kiss urn or the kiss casket. No, I don't. And he talks, uh, his cousin talks about when he played in a band in the 80s and uh, they once opened for Leonard Skinner and he said, they had two original members, man. And there's a great scene in the movie toward the end where the band reunites for the memorial service and they're playing Freebird. Oh, <laughs> and, and they've got this gigantic bird that flies across the auditorium, but it accidentally catches fire. So it's kind of like a uh, metaphor. The bird's going down in flames and everybody's still dancing around to the music and the sprinklers go off and Oh, how much fun. Okay, record. You gonna you guys are gonna swear that I'm being paid off for saying this. But my my record of the week is called The Unexplainable Billy Eli. <laughs> from twenty thirteen. I, I know you're not being paid off. I don't have any money. <laughs> from twenty thirteen. Not just because he's my friend, not just because I wrote the liner notes. Not just because another one of our co-hosts, Jim Hemphill, is the lead guitar player, 
but because I'm an honest to God fan of this guy's music. Just ask him. I would have likely driven, uh, I've pre most likely driven him nuts, tell him how much I love the song. She looks just like Marilyn Monroe. One of my all-time favorite songs. Not only that, but every song here is a winner. Especially Whiskey Drinking Woman, Burning Down the Beer Joints, and Nothing But the Wheel. And his cover of Waymore's Just to Satisfy You is fantastic. Took me back to 1982. And my very first studio experience with a young Silver Travis band. When they let me sing in the studio for the first time, I sang Just to Satisfy You. And made a mistake of trying to sound like Waylon, but uh, yeah, we we didn't do that. Yeah, you did we, your own we, thing. We weren't we weren't going to be able yeah. to pull it off, so we didn't even try. No, I like your we version. We went a little different direction. Well. Yeah, I like your we, version. We, well. Yeah, would you would you say Jim, we went a little different direction? Yeah, we we decided to go a different direction. But to wrap it up, I like all. Um, I recommend all five of uh, Billy's albums, including my second favorite, which is called Hell Yeah. Number 67 on the top 100 Roots Country albums of 2011. How about that? I'll tell you and what, you man. didn't think he was famous. Come on, people. I got I to gotta, give Jim that tip there, man. Guitar work on that was just smoked. Was it hot. not? It was like, oh, was, God. oh, God. It I, sounded like I the damn national players. Well, I listen. No, he doesn't sound anything at all. No, I mean the good ones. Player, the good ones. The which good is ones. exactly why I like it. I listen to that and I think, damn, man, I wish I was in that band. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you, know the, you know what the crazy thing about, about that record was, hell yeah, is that uh, I give a lot of credit to Patrick Conway, the producer, because a lot of the stuff that ended up on the record was stuff that I played as scratch track. Yeah, you had to really watch him. And, he would do that. And, you know, I, I, I would go, oh, man, I want to redo that. And he'd say, no, man, it's perfect. It's perfect. It's, you know, it's not supposed to be perfect, perfect. It's perfect for this record. And and so it's there's stuff on there. If I were producing it, I never would have let on there. But Patrick did, and, and Patrick had a vision for that. Well, it and, turned and, out and, fantastic. And he, and he, he pulled it, it off. Yeah, he, he did. did. He did. Well, you know, remember, same, you know another guy, another guy is exactly like that was Paul Hornsby. And when he produced my album and all like that, and, uh, and when Billy was down there playing on it, and um, he he would take, you know, we'd do five or six takes or something, and I never knew which one was going to end up. <laughs> and right. yeah, generally, he, yeah, a lot never, of times he it was, never would tell you what he was keeping. Yeah, he, I remember. Uh, yeah, I, go, I remember uh, Jim and I were uh, driving somewhere here in Austin, listening to rough mixes of that record. And in the space of one song, he would say, that's my Bill Lawrence telly. That's a real telly. That's a Les Paul. Wow. Yeah, wow. yeah man. I mean, pa pa Patrick uh, uh, Conway just, man, I mean, he, he he could hear things, man. I mean, he could hear things on nine or ten, nine or ten levels deep. You know? And uh, and I have to say this, when, when we first heard the, the tracks, and, and I mean, y'all know me pretty well, so... But the first thing I said was, "Damn, man, it's overproduced. Good God!" <laughs> let me just let me just ask this, Billy. Did you say or did you not say that you do already have one pretty much ready to go? A new one, new album. We have a new one that was supposed to drop yeah. this month, but uh, we have a new one, and we're going to drop it sometime next summer. It's called "Topanga with the uh, Topanga with the Top Now." And uh, Jim Hemphill produced it. And I got to tell you, uh, 
I think sound wise and, and, and uh, just for feel, tone, and vibe, uh, and the material and the way the band played, it yeah, it's probably it'll probably be my favorite of the records I've made. I I really like I really liked uh, Hell Yeah, but it didn't ever really feel like our band. It was. It was me and Jim, but every, almost everybody else was side guys, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we did, yeah. We didn't so you're, you're shooting for summer next summer. Yeah. You know, I th- in my opinion, summer, if everything goes as planned and the virus goes away, yeah, uh, I think the summer <laughs> of 2021 is going to be a rocking summer. Because everybody's cut their stuff. I think it's going to certainly feel rocking after, after so. this. Well, everybody, everybody's delayed all their stuff until then. So it's going to be music coming out our ears, and I love that. I mean, you know, because I have so I missed it. I bet there's going to be some damn good albums drop, man. Yeah. Hell yeah, I do. And some live shows, baby. How come albums drop? Why don't they rise? <laughs> I don't know, man. I didn't. I, we didn't. We didn't. Thank you, Stephen Wright. Okay. Um <laughs> Why do albums drop? Why don't they rise? Um, okay, let's go with the recommendations of one uh, Jim Atlanta Vintage Guitars Hemp Hill. I just read his T-shirt. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, thanks. Uh, Drumsticks, let's see. What, are we, what are we doing here? Oh, yeah. Book, book, they're all, uh, for me, I didn't put as much work in this week. They're all music related. I'm going to start with a book. It's summertime. What do we do in the summertime? We listen to the Beach Boys because it's long. Uh, and, so, long. and so my book is by Timothy White. It's called The Nearest Faraway Place. Subtitle is Brian Wilson, The Beach Boys and the Southern California Experience. It's a great book. It's, 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 uh, I haven't read all the books on the Beach Boys, so I can't say it's the best. But I'm going to read the cover blurb, which says, The best book so far on the Beach Boys. White not only illuminates their achievements, he takes the pulse of the American dream as it applied in the crucial post-war years. Oh, that all rock books aspire to the scope, depth, and sheer vision of this masterly overview of the whole West Coast milieu ethos. Uh, I didn't write that. Uh, That's a hell of a blurb. That's a hell of a blurb. But it's a really wonder, good get, wonder where he got paid for that fifty and it, bucks. And it puts, yeah, 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 it, or a case of Corona. Uh, right. But it, it, uh, not a case of Corona, but the case of Corona. Uh, right. But, but anyway, it puts Corona, it, not Corona. It puts it puts the Beach Boys music in perspective, and you know, if you already didn't know that Murray Wilson, the the patriarch, was a can we say son of a bitch yeah we can say that if you didn't if you didn't know already he was a son of a bitch you would you would get it from this book yeah uh but but anyway it's a it's a you know a great story about a great american band and their place in history they are a good and band it's, and it's it's really really well written timothy white the nearest faraway place beach boys book my movie is kind of a cop-out because it's a, a music documentary but uh, we're, we're going down south, and it's Peter Bogdanovich's Running Down a Dream, the uh, Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers documentary. I have not seen that yet. It, it was not long enough. It's it's really freaking long. It's like almost four hours long. Yeah, sorry you lost me. But it's but it, it it's so it's good, particularly the first half. My God, that's longer than years. the Godfather. It is. It's it's really really well done and. The, 
one of the cool things is that the band took, you know, like Super 8 home movies of a bunch of their early days and their first trip out to California. Oh, that was their mud crud stuff, right? Yeah. I have seen part of that. And so there's footage from, from way back then. And, you know, and it, you know, it tells all the, it, it tells the story about how they all got together and their, you know, how, uh, how Petty found this, this dude who was a roommate of a friend of his sitting in the back room and, and playing guitar. And that was, uh, that was Mike Campbell. Uh, yeah, Cam Campbell's got a story about how he went and bought a used uh, Rickenbacker for like three hundred dollars, and it was yeah. the best three hundred dollars he ever spent. And it's it's on the cover of uh, it's on the cover of Damn the Torpedoes, as right, a matter right, of fact. Right. And uh, <clears throat> and you know, Benmont Tench was a was a a child of privilege. His dad was a federal judge, and he went to boarding school, but he really just wanted to hang out in bars and play piano. And it talks I'm sure about his parents were so proud. Yeah. And it talks about, you know, Ron, when Ron Blair left the band to, to become a bikini salesman. And, and it talks about, you know, when Stan Lynch was basically fired from the band and or quit. You know, it doesn't pull any punches. It talks about all that stuff. It and does it, not. And also Howie, you know. And Howie, yeah, about, yeah, yeah. About Howie and then Ron. Does it cover, does it cover that, that heroin addiction oh, thing? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It does the whole, it does everything. So it's, it's a, uh, it's, it's really, really good. So, uh. I gotta say one thing about that movie though, uh, it it is warts and all except they missed one wart and it's a big one when he went to war against MCA for jacking up the price of records. That's when he threatened to change the title of his album to four ninety nine or something. Yeah. Right, like that. right, right, right. Yeah. And there's and the the shot the the cover shot for Hard Promises is in a record store and it says eight ninety nine yeah. or something, which yeah. which at the time was an outrageous amount of money. So he painted himself as a hero of the people, a champion of the music consumer. Right. When in fact, when in fact that very year he had renegotiated his contract for thirty million dollars. Right. Guess who was guess who was paying for that? Was it the record label? <laughs> no. Us. No, that's us. what I meant. He he gouged yeah. the label and they had to gouge us back. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. And he I mean but it talks about how he declared had to his strategic declaration of bankruptcy and that sort of thing are yeah. in there. So how he yeah. did that. So anyway. by the way, that hard promises is my favorite of his albums. It's a good one. I did know that we've talked about that. We have. And then, uh, staying down South for my album, going to Florida. My album okay. is by a band called the silos. The album is called Cuba. 1987 who was in that band that band was walter, led. walter solace humara was the leader of the, the band and still plays around and still has an act he calls the silos i really like the early stuff when it was a two singer songwriter band right who was the second guy his name is bob root right and bob root ended up as the bass player in crackers right years later but but Bob didn't was not as prolific as Walter in his songwriting, but he had this really great, deep uh, kind of blue-eyed soul voice. Uh, uh, and uh, Cuba has some great, great songs. It is, it is uh, the silos back then, Cuba launched them into a major label deal and everybody seemed to think they were going to be huge stars. Uh, there was a huge piece on them in the old musician magazine which was a great magazine they put out one major label album which is also very good just called the silos um but it, it just didn't ha they were on letterman but it just didn't happen for them and the the major label record is really good uh but i cuba i think is is probably their best work 
and uh, it's it's kind of Americana before there was Americana. It's right. You can tell it's from the South. I wouldn't call it Southern rock, but it is roots rock. Uh, even though so Walter Salas Humara's parents immigrated from Cuba, hence the title of the record. But uh, he grew up firmly as a Florida guy, and uh, it's a, just a really, really the, great record. The buzz I remember ab about that that first incarnation when it was the two singer-songwriters was that the songwriting on it was was just stellar. It was... Yeah. It was it was better than your your you know basic sort of pop radio three minute kind of thing and uh, yeah. a lot of the songwriting is just about domestic life right know? yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I first heard of them they uh I must have been about eight what well, they broke the mid eighties it must have been about eighty eight eighty nine huh Something yeah like yeah that. Cuba came out in eighty seven they uh, and, uh they were there was a feature on them in Rolling Stone that I read yeah. Uh, back about 88 that talked about about their uh songwriting i tell you the thing that impressed me about them from that article they were the uh they were the first group i saw that uh that, that i was aware of that were doing their recordings in project rooms they weren't mm -hmm. they weren't they weren't clocking into a, a well-known studio they were they were renting the gear they're finding a space that they like and rent the gear and brought it in and later sunbolt did that yep Yep, I think their major label record was recorded at a small theater somewhere. They just set up a mobile unit at a small theater. Uh, I can't remember if it was Florida or Georgia or somewhere like that. Right. But anyway, uh, I I just think uh, you know if if Cuba would have come out during the you know the the alt country no depression Americana boom of the of the nineties, uh, it would have gotten a lot more attention than it did. I think it was ahead of its time, but it's a terrific terrific record. And, and it benefits from both Walter Salasumara and Bob Roop uh, uh, writing and singing. So those are my three for, for this week. Perfect. Oh, You're up. It's, my, it's my turn. Well, I'm gonna, I'm gonna throw a band at you. Uh, I think there's a fair chance none of you have ever heard of. <clears throat> Record from uh, 2013 by a band called Implants. I don't know where they were from. They were all in other bands. It was just kind of a side project. I think they just made this one record. But the yeah, record—that's what I was going to ask if it was a one-off record. Yeah. yeah, it's it's called "From Chaos to Order," and uh, it's just slightly more pop side of pop punk than the Buzzcocks. Uh. Just really, really good songwriting. They've got an incredible, insane drummer. There's a song on that record called "Once Was I." I was uh, driving my kid to guitar lessons one Saturday afternoon and that popped up on Sir Sirius and I was like, we got to get this record. So the, the record is called uh, uh, From Chaos to Order by Implants, not the Implants, just as it's not the Talking Heads. <laughs> Chaos to Order by Implants. Um, <clears throat> we watched a crazy movie this week from Korea. I believe it came out just last year. It's called Train to Busan. And uh, after watching this, I was reminded yet again that some of the best movies in the world these days of the past couple of decades have come out of Korea and, uh, and Hong Kong. I'll give you another example. If nobody out there in internet, internet land has seen it, Parasite from last year, absolutely oh, yeah. fantastic. But this, this movie is called Train to Busan, and it's a zombie movie. Sorry. Now what, does, now what does Alexa want? It's called Train to Busan, and it's about a, a 
divorced father who has a little girl she's maybe nine or ten years old and her birthday is the next day and she wants to go see her mom in busan so they get on a train and unfortunately what do you know zombies these are not those these are not those these are not those slow lurchy zombies they're really really fast so it's basically zombies on a train and what what really sets it apart is the production values are quite high they obviously had a considerable budget because the production values and the special effects are top-notch it's pretty well self-contained mostly on this train the characters are very well drawn uh and likable it keeps you guessing all the way to the end and the end is just dare i say literally smashing so my movie is uh train to busan which you can get on the netflix my book and i should have mentioned this a week ago because it was closer to the actual anniversary but 75 years ago this month we dropped the atomic bomb on hiroshima and then we dropped the atomic bomb on nagasaki and then the japanese surrendered so my book which i went back and reread was john hersey's hiroshima first published in the new yorker magazine it took up the entire magazine in that issue in august of 1946 there was no talk of the town there was no criticism there were no cartoons it was just thirty thousand words of this guy's story that was later published as a book and he was so so smart in the way he got this assignment he uh he pitched it to his editor it was almost an entire year after the bombings and uh the editor of the new yorker said yeah go and he had a two-week visa he had two weeks to report this enormous story you know arguably the biggest story in the history of the world right. how do you do that how do you do that you either go really really big and that story is incomprehensibly big or you go really really small he decided to go micro and he focused on the lives of six people who were affected in one way or another by the bombing and it had a huge huge impact because even close to a year after the bombings the military was completely whitewashing the effects of uh the radiation the, the, and, the fallout aftermath, right. and fallout and the uh the reporters the the american reporters who were there at the time were kind of complicit in whitewashing that that uh minimization and hersey went there and just in two weeks saw how horrible it was and how long lasting the effects were supposed to be and it was enormously influential it was excerpted in newspapers around the world radio broadcasters read the entire thirty thousand words on the air he had already won a pulitzer prize for a world war ii novel but i think this won the pulitzer prize too so my book is the very timely unfortunately hiroshima by yeah, john Hurst. great book great book yeah. Back, yeah back in sixth grade a bunch of us were passing that around reading it uh and it was i, re- I just remember it so vividly because it was uh, kind of nightmare inducing when you're when you're right. young when you're but, oh yeah 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 oh um, yeah, yeah. As y'all know, I did not do a full list this week, but I do have a book, and uh, I was remi- I read this book a couple of times. The last time I read it was probably two years ago, and I was remembered this listening to you describe uh, the way the writer had had written, where he 
he went micro and he's talking about the day-to-day lives and this is about a tragedy but it's not, not a nuclear tragedy there's a uh it's an eric larson uh book called isaac storm yeah, uh, yeah. And, and have you read it yeah yeah and and he does that same thing he he tells the story uh, well let me let me set it up some more uh the the book is called uh the title the book's title is isaac storm a man of time and the deadliest hurricane in history and it's about the 1900 uh galveston hurricane and he tells in this he tells the stories of individuals during the storm that are that are caught in this in this hurricane and and then the, the few days after after the hurricane when they're still trying to gather up and and uh you know that that uh the storm sir that was that was when they were that was when uh weather media meteorology and all that stuff were, were just they were just starting to dial it in they didn't understand uh they didn't understand the devastating nature of storm surge they thought it was just wind and rain they didn't realize that you know 90 mile an hour winds pushing in from out in the ocean man pushing a huge wall of water in front of them and they also didn't understand the back surge that after it went into the shore it had to come back out to sea and that's what that's what you know that's what wiped the island out which uh, uh everybody i think everybody on the panel has been to galveston uh oh, yeah and the seawall and 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 that was what that was you know that that storm is what sparked the seawall that that it was to protect against surge and make the surge go around the island and all that but uh it's a, it's a really good story and um <coughs> I tell you, there were times when I re- was reading it. You know, I kind of it was, it was sort of easy to lose that it was about a real thing because I mean there was so much stuff happening and the winds blowing and the water's coming up and you know and the, when the water rises, well you know the snakes and all that stuff rises with it. I gotta tell I gotta tell you, Billy. I don't know if I ever told you this. I probably did, but uh, uh, when Harvey was coming in, that was uh, my wife's birthday week so we rented a house on the beach in galveston about 20 miles about 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 20 miles outside of town and uh we spent we we spent god knows how much money renting this house and we spent exactly one night in that house because the next day the next day we took the golf cart over the beach and we watched this thing whirling around getting closer and closer and closer it was like we got to get out of here right (sighs) That's uh, it's like yeah, the, uh, just yeah. That was your your book reminded the the way you said he tell that story reminded it it reminded me of that and and really I was yeah. thinking about you know bleak desolate environment uh, and and yeah and our, and being in the middle of a hurricane devastated uh, city would, yeah. would be that. Yeah. I mean, if you got such a huge story almost always the best way to tell it is just to like bore in and focus on a few characters the thing about that is if you try and tell the whole thing it's it's impossible because it's so damn big and you and you leave there with basically an overview of it but you don't really get the story you have an overview and yeah and you know right and so no that's uh and i've never i i'll i think i will probably try and look up uh the your book choice here Hiroshima, Hiroshima. I'm not sure pronunciation. You can read. Uh, you can read the whole thing online at the New Yorker. Oh yeah, excellent. Right. I even subscribed to that. So yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, 
Anyway, uh, before we move on, I want to get to our get to our deep cuts. Yeah, I wanted to ask Patrick one thing before we. I mean, I, I was going to wait until we're off the air, but what the heck? Please tell me the name of the author again on the Hiroshima book. Hersey, like Hershey, but without the yeah, second H. H. Yeah. And what and what year was it published? Jim said he remembered passing it around. In oh, it was in the forties. It was yeah, okay. Yeah, it was okay. It was, so it yeah. was in the immediate aftermath. I mean, right, right, yeah. Right. I'm and, intrigued. And like I'm going to have to look that up. Oh, God. It'll change your life, Michael. It's so, so, so good. And the Army just didn't understand why this Pulitzer Prize-winning novelist who had been in the military, and he was tall, he was good-looking. Right. He was a total... Right. All-American John Wayne kind of guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they had no idea why he was in this interested in this story because the bombing had happened about about ten months before. It was not news. Right. At all. So right. So to them it was over and done with. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, they were rebuilding Japan. Nobody was sick. It was a bunch of lies. And he had two weeks to report this story. And it changed the world. Good lord, man. <laughs> Well, as a, uh, as a, I guess you would say I'm a journalist. <laughs> I hate titles, but as a journalist, yeah, it, that intrigues me because to, just, to think, to that. just to think <laughs> of having two weeks to write about Hiroshima and I, uh-huh. you know, I've never, I haven't studied it that deeply, but just looking at the video of the bombing, <laughs> I'm like, whoa, that, I mean, God, that had to be like, that was their 9-11, I suppose, you know, before. Yeah, it uh, sure was. My, my, my uh, elder son, the citizen of the world, the budding diplomat, has been to Hiroshima. And oh. uh, he, came, he came back and said, for two days, the Japanese military couldn't raise anybody in Hiroshima. We're like, what the heck happened to Hiroshima? Whoa. We can't get him on the radio. It's yeah. not wow. there. <laughs> yeah it's not there yeah okay this week we're going to talk about deep cuts or b-sides thing you know things like Some, that something and more cheerful let's let's a little bit more cheerful yeah and i'm gonna i'm gonna uh, i'm gonna actually start off since uh i started off the other part and just kind of go round robin like that but um yeah, i've got good, uh man. five kind of got five here now here's what i did guys um I didn't know where to start because there's so much, so much to mine from. And uh, so I opened up my uh, folder where I keep all of my uh, music, thousands and thousands of albums. (laughs) And I'm like, okay, I'm just going to go through and just randomly select an artist and go, okay, I think that'll be one of mine this week. Because there's so many, how in the world do you choose? I mean, it's just really hard. So here's what shook out. It's almost like throwing darts at a dartboard, but they're in no particular order. But here's five that I think are really great cuts. Oh, I didn't pick five. I just have, I mean, I was just thinking of some. I thought we would do one at a time and go around. Well, we kind of, we, we've been doing five of everything. So I just kind of okay. figured that was the All pattern. Right. But yeah, you can no, do it I'm, any way you want to. Um, there are no rules, and which is good, which I, is what I'm makes Billy Eli happy them. because right. he never because has I, gone by the rules. Well, it's because I can't remember. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. What rules? No stinking rules. 
My, like I said, mine aren't in any order. I'm going to go back okay. with, with the first one. I'm going to go back to 1977. And one of my favorite singers, songwriters, named Carla Bonoff. And uh, on her debut album in 1977, Carla did a song called Falling Star, which ironically is the one I've got queued up to play to close the show today. Carla wrote so many beautiful songs, and of course, Linda Ronstadt had a lot of hits with Carla songs, but Carla Bonoff herself just had a, or I don't say had, she's not dead, she's still playing, but she has a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful voice, and um, so many great songs, but Falling Star just meant so much to me, because I don't know, it just, some songs just hit you in the heart. Can't even explain it, but that's one of them. Um, okay. My next one falls under the category, of, sort of, under the category of Southern Rock. And it is the Allman Brothers Band from 1994, the album Where It All Begins. And it's one of Dickie Betts' songs called Back to Where It All Begins. I've heard that. That's a good tune. It's a great song. And um, it's basically a song about, you know, they had so much kind of infighting in the band and stuff like that but he had this optimistic song that says uh you know travel off to some distant land and and he says uh, uh when we reach the end we'll all be singing and we'll all be friends back where it all begins so it's kind of like saying we're all going to you know uh come together again stuff like that and not only that, the song is very infectious. It's just a very, I just love to hear it. Okay, now, genre hopping as I do, the next one is from 1974. One of my favorite artists by the name of David Bowie and his <laughs> Diamond Dogs album. Of course, that's the only tour I ever saw by Bowie was the Diamond Dogs in Charlotte. And a song called When You Rock and Roll With Me kind of a ballad type song but I just love it and um, Diamond Dogs was one of my favorite albums I mean it was kind of a concept what, what kind of it was a concept album Hell, all his albums were concept albums yeah pretty much um, and speaking of him I did I just uh, downloaded and started watching again for the first time since it was on in the cinema in 76 the, uh, the man who fell to earth <laughs> wow yeah a strange little movie but I, I like it I love Bowie okay going on down the line uh, one this song was originally recorded electric but my version is the 2014 acoustic version of Richard Thompson's Bees Wing Oh, yeah. Oh, man. I yeah. like the acoustic. That's a, that's a great <laughs> song. It's a, on the Acoustic Classics album of 2014. Um, I used to have in the cassette days a cassette tape of, uh, and I can't remember the name of it, but it was various artists doing uh, doing acoustic songs, and it had Richard Thompson doing Beeswing. And I remember writing between gigs late, late, late at night listening to him and thinking this song is like a freaking novel in three yeah. and a half minutes yeah so she was a fine thing 
<laughs> uh, oh man, it's just beautiful. I just love it. One of my favorite songs ever. And my last one is a three-way tie by one band because I can't name a favorite. I've been so, so, so on a lone justice kick lately. It is not <laughs> They're fun. very good. I just love, loved Maria McKee <laughs> in those days. And the band is smoking. And uh, I've been downloading video from the 80s and watching them uh, uh, one, one show on YouTube at the Ritz. It was just rocking. But the songs, East of Eden, Ways to be Wicked, and I also like Dixie Storms. Kind of a ballad song. So anyway, Lone Justice, I wanted to say at the risk of copping out, anything by Lone Justice is fine <laughs> with me. I've got the, uh, I guess you would call it Greatest Hits, the one called the This World Is Not My Home album. And uh, I play it way, way, way too much. And since I've been talking to you cats, um, it seems like I play... Lone Justice, Dwight Yoakam, The Replacements, <laughs> and, and a, a few of those things like more than ever before. Um, I really dug deep after uh, Jim talked about Dwight Yoakam's book, and I read it. I dug deep into Dwight's catalog because before that, I mostly knew about the Guitars and Cadillacs album and the uh, Hillbilly Deluxe. But, right, right, it's right, it's his, yeah, man. But yeah. there's so, so, so much more, so much mm -hmm. more to him. And uh, yep. so I'm a Dwight Yoakam fan too, and it has well, nothing to do with anything. And with that being said, let's go to the next guy. I guess uh, look, go back in the same order again with Patrick. Ah, oh, man, I want to oh, go next. Oh, well, no, wait, wait a minute. That never well, happens. I, I was I was gonna do a because uh, you were talking about Lone Justice. Well, go ahead and do it, it, and then we'll go to Patrick Billy. Well, Billy. And we're doing and we're doing we're doing deep cuts. Cut in line, cut in line. I don't care. A, a B side um, off of uh, the Shelter album. Man, it was a song, really sad song. Uh, she did called Wheels, and it's oh yeah, uh, it's it's minimal it's minimal production. There's there's not a there's not a lot of stuff in it. It's like a piano and mostly just her voice and that's uh, all it uh, takes. That, and that that's a great and that's a great song yeah uh y'all anybody are y'all everybody familiar with that oh, yep. yeah yep. I, yep. I know jim is yep. but i didn't know about yep. you pat and uh all right and now i'll pass it to pat and then i'll pick another one later right, that's relevant to something somebody else said. <laughs> well I've, I've got i've cool. got my i've got my list right i got my list right here because i didn't want to uh forget anything so um uh, coriander, filet <coughs> mignons, jumbo lump crab meat, uh, Bernays sauce. Well, wrong list. Wrong list, Patrick. That, that's 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 my shopping list. Yeah, yeah. Doggone it. Tomorrow. Man, I hate it when that happens. Right. Oh, oh, wait. Here it is. It's the next page. It's on the back of the grocery list. At least it wasn't okay. the CVS list with Preparation H on it. So Okay. okay. Let's skip. Let's move it right along. <laughs> okay. Moving right along. My book is Hiroshima by John Hersey. <laughs> wait, wait a minute. <laughs> so, all kidding aside all that kidding was aside, get that man no. another beer quickly all kidding aside my uh my first this is in not any order my first deep cut is 2000 man it's also a cover 
because yeah, we talked about that last week. Okay. But 2000 Man as done by Kiss on Dynasty in 1979. Your good friend, Ace Fraley. Uh, uh, I had never heard that song. Ark. I had never I had never heard the Stones version before I heard that song. And it's got a really good groove. It's it got does. that really cool mid-tempo groove. Um, and I like it a lot. And it's been covered a number of times from one of the many not very good Rolling Stones albums. I heard, um, I heard the <clears> Stones version because on I'm the radio me. this week. Really? Literally this week I heard oh, the Stones really? version. Wow. Yeah. yeah. I had never uh, heard the Stones version either, Patrick, until uh, Ace, and I went and dug it out. But uh, did you? Yeah. I just want to ask you this: Did you? Uh, were you watching the first time that Kiss did the Unplugged and brought Ace out, and he sang that song acoustic? Do you remember that? Yes. Yes. But did you I feel did. the same yeah. way I did? Like, yeah, baby, there he is. He's back. Yeah. Yeah. I got so excited easy. about that, man. It was crazy. And he got the biggest like response it. that night of anybody. Yeah, yeah. He really, he um, really did. But go ahead. Oh, I'm running out of battery too, so I'm going to have to run inside and unplug and uh, just talk to him on my onboard speaker. But uh, my second choice is a B-side to yes, the replacements first single. Woo. If only you were lonely. The B-side to I'm in trouble. Oh. Everybody talks about how the replacements got old and Westerberg matured as a songwriter. It was all there from the start. I'm in trouble is just a flat out rocker. It is punk rock. The B-side is just Westerberg on an acoustic guitar wow. singing a funny lament about a drunk who can't find a girlfriend. If only you were lonely. I'd be alone with you. It's just a fantastic song. And now, Billy, jump in because I got to go plug in. And I'm not doing. I'm not doing mine a little style, man. I'm just. I wanted to ask a question real quickly. Uh, he said yeah. Westerberg. Are you talking about Paul yeah. Westerberg? Yeah. Yeah. So Paul yeah. Westerberg was one of the replacements. He was he the replacement. See, was, I didn't know writer. that, dude. Let me, I, let me just say. In 1991 or so, whenever I was doing Edge magazine, I did an interview with Paul Westerberg. Yeah, and I just I, was, I blanked on it. Uh, he was yeah. uh, he was doing solo stuff, I guess, at the time. Or, yeah, yeah, he right. And yeah, I didn't yeah. realize it was the same guy, man. Yeah, no, man, dude's a hell of a writer. I loved his I loved his uh, solo stuff. I just didn't know it was the my, same guy with the replacements till now. Yeah. My wow. I was thinking you gotta read, cut uh, and, and Jim's you gotta gonna. You got, you got to read Trouble Boys, the story of the replacements, which Jim has mentioned before, because Westerberg basically came into an existing band that Bob Stinson ran and took it over. And right. This is, this is uh, if only you were lonely. Is essentially Paul Westerberg's first solo track. I, I tell you what, I loved his solo stuff, and and the thing you're talking about where he would just sit and sing a song he wrote with yeah. an acoustic guitar. I really like that. I did too. I did too. Patrick, I mean, can he, you he, can you control your volume on this thing you switched to, Paul Pat? You're real low. All the way up. All the way up. I okay. can either have power I can have my headphones in. You need okay. to get uh closer to the closer to the unit. How's that? Yeah, yeah, that's better. <laughs> okay, I'm gonna pick another deep cut. Jim's gonna agree with me on this one, man. This is uh <laughs> I almost always do, man. This is uh uh uh, Roger McGuinn's uh, Back from Rio album. And this, I think, was one of your covers. Uh, you bowed down, and that yeah. was a 
that was a deep cut. It was, it wasn't a single. You had to listen to what about four songs deep on the second side to get to it. And, uh, but man, what a great song. And it was written, uh, by Elvis Costello who, you know, he can write. Yeah. 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 yeah he's great. A little, little bit, man. A <laughs> little bit. Yeah. A little bit. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, it's, I don't know. Help me describe that tune, Jim. It's kind of bouncy. It's funny. It's a real happy, it's a real ha- happy sounding song where he's kind of saying to somebody, "Hey, shove it." Yeah, it's <laughs> it's, it's 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 jangly. Uh, so it's got the the McGuinn twelve string, and it's you know, and it's got a nice little descending bass line riff, and it's you know, uh, happy sounded. But man, the words are just poison. <laughs> which is brutal. Which, which is which Elvis could do so well, and and McGuinn does a great job delivering him because he has the, you know that little bit of that Dylan uh, attitude in his voice, and uh, it's just it's a great cut. It is a yeah. great cut. It's a great song. I agree. I like that one. Okay, Jim. Oh, are we get kind of round robin? Well, did they, Patrick they finish did their list? And 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 I I have some, but you know, yeah, this what. Well, did Patrick finish his though? Did he do all five? Ah, man, I got no. three to go. Yeah, I thought uh, so. Let Jim let Jim do one, and then we'll go back to Patrick. No, that's not confusing. Go ahead. I'm not confused. <laughs> if someone's keeping score, I mean, I had kind of the same issue that that Buff did about trying to figure out where to start about about what a deep cut is. And I decided that what I would do is I would restrict this to cuts that were not singles or weren't the prominent tracks on albums that sold lots of copies. Uh, Because, you know, if you talk about the replacements or someone like that, I mean, you know, to some people, to to some people, um, you know, they're all deep cuts because they weren't that popular. So I decided to go with just records that sold literally millions of copies but to, to do songs that weren't the singles or weren't prominent songs. And the first right. thing I, the first song I thought of is, is uh, from uh, Purple Rain by Prince. And it's the second song, Take Me With You, which is a, it's, is a great, that folk rock thing that Prince could do so well. It wasn't funk at all. It was just kind of straight, strummy, acoustic guitar, laid back folk rock. And he could really, really do it well. He didn't do it very often. But I, uh, I Googled it and I found out that that was actually a single and it made the top 40. So I guess my memory wasn't very good. So I replaced <laughs> it with I replaced it with something as far away from Prince as you can get, and that is from Cheap Trick at Budokan. Ooh, <laughs> yes. My song is called Look Out. And it was, it, it made its first and really officially only appearance on Cheap Trick at Budokan. And you know, the, obviously, Ain't That a Shame was a big hit off that record the live version of uh, I want you to want me Me. is a big hit, but, uh, but look (laughs) out is I think an underrated cheap trick song uh, from uh, cheap trick at Budokan and they still play it occasionally. They're still a great live band. Yes. Live music going on now, but even, I mean, you know, I've seen them maybe 30 times, so I'm I'm kind of a freak, but, uh, but in any event, um, that's my first pick is, is Look Out by Cheap Trick from At Budokan. Nice, man. Okay, Patrick, you got three more. Let's have one of them. I'll, uh, I'll give you one that was a single or at least a video because in the video, Jim's building, his office building is featured prominently. <clears throat> but the reason I'm calling it a deep cut is because 
it was obscured by a much bigger hit from the album. The okay. song is Sister Jack. Um, and, uh, you know, Gimme Fiction really kind of broke that band pretty hard. But the band, is, the band is Spoon, by the way. Right. The, the, band yeah. is, the band is Spoon. Yes, yeah. the band is Spoon. Um, I so vastly prefer Sister Jack. I still, after all these years, think that's the best song that Spoon has ever done. Camera On is kind of slinky and kind of funky, but let's get real. Nobody from Temple, Texas can be that funky. So <laughs> Sister Jack is a, a vastly superior track. And I'm calling it a deep track, even though, like I said, I don't know for sure if it was a single, but it definitely had a video because you yeah, can see... But, yeah, but there's, there's videos. I've seen videos to real deep cuts, man, and real B-sides. You know? yeah, 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 that's true. So, I don't know. I don't know. So it's somebody else's turn. Okay. Um, my deep cut is, and uh, I don't know if y'all, uh, y'all probably haven't heard of this band, the Rolling Stones. <laughs> <laughs> never heard, never heard of them. They did, they did an album called Goat Ted Soup. They sure um, did. And I, one of the, the, uh, they had a, they had a B side on that that I thought was one of their best songs ever, and it was called A Hundred Years Ago. Yeah. And, yep. um, yeah, yeah. y'all know that tune. And oh it's, yeah, I love uh, that album. Yeah, it, it's it's got it's got those sections that are that kind of break down, and it's got sort of that really slow, you know, we're all on heroin kind of thing. <laughs> yeah, and, it is, and then it's and then it's got the little bouncy stuff, and it, it's you know, it, it, it's uh, the tell from the point of view of just reminiscing about you know when our lives were great, and doesn't it seem about a hundred years ago, and and uh, and that's my deep cut. So, well, you know, uh, speaking of that, Billy, oh, speaking of that album, uh, I, I never will forget when I bought that. And, you know, sure, it dates us to say this. I don't care. I don't care. The, I miss LPs. That was Angie. I miss LPs so much. Well, yeah, uh, the uh, Goat's Head, though, I just remember taking it out of the car and ripping off the shrink wrap. And when I opened it up and saw that picture, of the soup with the goat's head in it. <laughs> with, the, with, the, with the goat's mm -hmm. skull, yeah. And I said, man, <laughs> this is cool. But now I think that, that that album, I think my favorite cut on there was Silver Train. But man, I just, uh, what a wonderful little folk song that was. <laughs> yeah. Was, nothing to do know, with drugs. Was, nothing to do yeah, with drugs. <laughs> that was a that was a good record, man. And all the whole thing was fantastic. Even yeah. Even Angie. Yeah, even that. Although that's probably my least favorite of their. Yeah, their, me, their me too. Singles, but, but, but I liked it. I liked it before it became a massive hit, and when it became a massive hit, you sort of like, you know, I don't want to hear it anymore. I don't want to. I, gotta, hear, yeah, I don't want to hear Freebird anymore either. But. Had it had it been a had that been a B side or a deep cut, I would probably still really like it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Next. Who's next? Hey, Jim, you're up, man. All right. Now, speaking speaking of Angie, you know that supposedly is about Angie Bowie, which ties yeah to right. The Love's pick. And one thing I wanted to say about your pick about Diamond Dogs is I, I play a little guitar, and so I pay attention <laughs> you to, think? To, to, to guitar. And Bowie played almost all of the guitar himself on yeah. Diamond Dogs. Yeah, it sure did. It was amazing, including that great, great riff to Rebel Rebel. He was an incredible multi-instrumentalist. He really was. He really what, was. what a sax Rebel, player. Rebel, that's one of my favorite songs of yeah. all Oh, time. yeah, baby. 
It's, so my next my next deep cut is uh, from an artist that I could probably do ten or twenty deep cuts on at least, and that's Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers. Yeah, uh, I was I was leaving those off just because it would for me that would just be so obvious. Because because uh, and and I'm gonna go, but I'm only doing you know like I said I'm only doing records that sold you know millions of millions of copies. And so this is from Damn the Torpedoes, which is just chock full of hits. And I'm going to almost certainly know this song. And, and, and my, my pick is uh, Shadow of a Doubt, subtitled yeah. A Complex Kid. Yeah. Which, which might be my favorite Tom Petty song of all time. Yeah. Probably it, top five. It's good. Uh, <laughs> and uh, it is just, it's just to me, a, a quintessential Tom Petty song. It's thought- just... I thought you were gonna pick Louisiana Rain. Well, that's a good one too. But <laughs> well, but, and, and well, because it's a little more country and, and yeah. <laughs> but but uh, you know, to me, that's it's got it's got everything in it. It's got it's got it, it's got Petty singing like Tom Petty. It's got some some weird <laughs> lyrics about his girlfriend who who uh, speaks in French when she dreams, which is really weird and cool and. Uh, <laughs> It's got great Mike Campbell stuff. It's got everyone, you know, the She's entire always been band. So hard to figure out. Yeah, the whole <laughs> band shines, and I just love that, love that song. And uh, so that's my Tom Petty deep cut is uh, "Shadow of a Doubt," a complex kid. From Damn the wow. Kid. Okay, Pat, I got one so deep it's not even on the track <laughs> listings. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah, they're they're my favorite. <laughs> and it's it's not the one that Jim just it, the it's not the one that just flashed into jim's mind it is talking seattle grunge rock blues by todd snyder oh my oh, gosh yeah, what a man. great track good one it, that's it, where it, they refuse that, that's where they <laughs> refuse to play acoustic versions of the electric songs that they refuse right. to play <laughs> yeah. yeah that's right and then along along came a band that wasn't even together hell that's alternative to alternative yeah what a great one it's just hilarious. It is. It's so knowing, and it's like it's just about the best thing that Todd Snyder ever did. It's wry. It's true. You know. Yeah, he was just great all the way around. What was that tune he did about where he's whistling and talking about suicide and talking, jumping off the top of a building or something? Oh, you remember that? Nuts. What? Yeah, I do. <laughs> Shoot, what oh, so it's like a happy song about suicide. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. The happy suicides, and then the the one about the what the the Kingsman. Yeah, the ballad. Yeah, the ballad of the Kingsman. Louis, right. Louis, yeah. Louis, Louis. Yeah. Yeah. That was also him that did a B double E double R U N beer run, wasn't it? Yep. Beer run. Yep. 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 And well, yeah, I, I gotta I gotta say this, man. He's a hell of a wordsmith. Oh, he is. Yeah, he he is. is. But the thing about the thing about this song in particular, in addition to it being a deep cut, is the humor lands because it's so true you know hey hey my oh my rock and roll will never die take your hair down in your eyes and at the end you say you know well the label dropped us and that's not funny because we're all hooked on drugs and we're out of money (laughs) so uh, pack up the van boys we're moving back to athens and and i still think that that was that that song was uh uh ray wiley hubbard got the idea to do uh uh, rock and roll is a vicious game. <laughs> yeah, that, that's Where, funny. That the, 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 the bass player band breaks up, a bass player ODs, and 
the album goes to number one on the Billboard yeah. charts. The, the, uh, the greatest show I ever saw, it, I went to Merle Fest about, I don't know, five times, but the greatest one I ever saw was a set by Tom, Todd Snyder. I, I mean, it just kind of like, um, the second was Jorma Kalkinen and Jack Cassidy, but Todd Snyder, uh, I don't know, man, just what a great writer. He's like almost John Prine in my book. He's a, he's a wordsmith, yeah. man. I mean, yeah. he just, he can, he can just, he gets the words that he yeah. needs, man, to, to fall the way he needs them to fall. And you know what, Billy, uh, another comparison, and I'm not trying to flatter you, but uh, he's a little bit like you. He really? can be really, really funny, and he can be really, really sincere. Right. It's, that's true. Well, yeah, that's, uh, thanks. And that's just from, you know, listening to a lot of stuff and trying to say different things besides just always trying to tell a joke or always trying yeah. to be serious. Yeah. It's like the difference between uh, Marilyn Monroe and cheese enchiladas. And I just absolutely love both of those. The songs, not yeah. the food. Of course, I like the food right. too, but. Who don't like man? Who don't like cheese and salad? Right. I don't. I don't. I don't trust somebody. I don't like cheese. Jalapenos on the side, yeah, baby. Uh, who's next? Uh, me and my my deep cut. My uh, next deep cut is a. It's off a Steve Roll album. It's yeah. Off of, uh, Copperhead Road, and it's even when I'm blue, which I think he every time that that gets played, he should send a nickel to Tom Petty's estate, and he should send a nickel to Roger McGuinn. Because <laughs> I really feel like that song owes something to both of those, uh, to both of those guys. But it, uh, that that was my favorite song on that album, and it's a, and it's a B side. Uh, everybody else liked Copperhead Road, and that's a great song and the story about the moonshiner and the Vietnam vet growing weed and all that stuff. But uh, but even when I'm blue, it's just you know it's a you couldn't really call it a love song. I don't even know what you would call it, but, uh, you know, it, it, it's just sort of a song about just daily domestic life. And, uh, it's a great tune. And, uh, Jim, I know you know it cause oh, we yeah. played it. So. Yep. 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 All right. My, I guess I'm up then. Uh, my, I'm staying down South and I'm going with an REM song. And uh, again, nice. I'm going to go with R.E.M. after they, well, as they were getting popular, their first Warner Brothers album, Green, which had Orange Crush and Stand and Pop Song 89 were kind of the right. standout tracks. But my pick is a track called You Are the Everything. Oh, yeah. And to Beautiful me, song. You Are the Everything is the blueprint for the mandolin R.E.M. I kind of oh have, okay. yeah okay there's, there's the guitar REM and then they <laughs> became the mandolin REM, mandolin REM right. and I like the guitar REM a lot better than the the mandolin REM but this song I think uh, is is the best of the the mandolin REM and it didn't get much traction uh, and it wouldn't have been a single I mean there aren't any drums on it right and they all this is this is when they were playing around and switching instruments and the guitar player played mandolin and the drummer played bass and the bass player played accordion and but it's got <laughs> it's got great evocative lyrics it's got a great melody a great vocal performance from michael stipe it's just a beautiful song 
and Man, he it's he can't sing it's 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 and and in this this and he really really wrote a great melody to this song and it's just i mean you know to me it's just a gorgeous song and it's one of their best songs and i think it, it gets overlooked a lot so uh so that's that's my rm pick you are the everything the best in my view the best rem song from the mandolin period okay wow that, oh man that uh that kind of complicates me and i oh, was oh did you have that or something like it man? no 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 it just uh um now i've got a three-way tie for last and i was sure jim you would say train in vain i don't consider that a deep cut but uh, something from that record is coming up i see well <laughs> i'm just i'm just gonna i'm just gonna blow through okay i gotta i gotta talk about rem and something that I learned just this week, uh, Don't Go Back to Rockville was never a single. It, was it wasn't. Never, it's a great song, though. It was not expected to be a, a, a big tune at all. To have Michael Stipe didn't write that, did he? That's no, Mills. well, I mean, they were, every one of them, every one of their songs is is credited to all four, but Mike Mills wrote that whole song. He wrote it right. when, when he was still living in Macon. Right. He was still, he, no, he was living in Athens. He wrote it at his kitchen table in Athens, and it started out as a demo that sounded like the Ramones, and it which is weird because it sounds exactly like alt country. <laughs> right, right, right. And then it got a little twanged up, and their manager liked it, and it kind of took on a life of its own. So, hmm, that's that's that qualifies as a deep cut because nobody expected anything of it, and it's one of their most popular songs. Well, and it's, it, I'll tell you what, I, uh, like Jim was talking about their mandolin period, and, and it's distinctly different. What I like about Rockville is it, it does not. It does not sound like any of their other stuff. I mean, it, it's like in a totally different part of the yard, you know. Well, they it's, could they could twang it up a little bit. I remember my brother. My brother was 15 years older than me, and he lived in uh, Arizona, and he listened to a lot more country music than me at the time. And I said, "Hey, you got to hear this song by this band REM. It's kind of country." And I played it for him, and he was like, "Really? You think that's country?" <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, yeah. So uh, uh, another one I got. And uh, this is probably going to kill my third choice because you you guys are all going to nod enthusiastically. But uh, what is it? this is this is kind of buried. This is like the eighth song on an album we all had. If you want blood by ACDC. Oh. I mean, oh my God! What a good you... album. <laughs> oh. I mean, it's it it should have been the lead off track. It should have been the second track. It should have been the. Should have been the whole first slide. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that is Malcolm Young at his absolute best. He's just killing it. And uh, Angus's guitar solo, the beginning of that guitar line with that quivery sort of, <laughs> it, it just kills. It just kills. But that's. Uh, I, I. I think. Uh, I have a third in mind, but it's. Is it ACDC? No, it's by Shiny Ribs. I also like a song I would call I Don't Give a Fig by Shiny Ribs. Um, but it contains a bad word, and I already mentioned ACDC, and ACDC already wins. So I'm done. <laughs> Another good ACDC uh, deep cut from uh, Back in Black. Uh, 
they had a song on that album called uh, "Giving the Dog a Bone," which was, uh-huh. uh, well, and, and you know, I mean, I wasn't a heavy duty hard rock metal guy, but I had that album, and uh, and that was that was a good song. I mean, you know, it was brainless lyrics, but, yeah, but but it had a great hook, and the and the guitar work was great. They had a great rhythm section, and Brian Johnson can in fact sing that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, uh, it, was, it was more intelligent than, say, Plaster Caster. So, yeah. Let me just say this. It was more intelligent than a lot of stuff that was trying to pretend to be intelligent. Now, now Mr. Buffalo is making the argument that ACDC is the more intellectual of the two bands. <laughs> intellectual. Well, yeah, not the band so much as maybe Simmons' lyrics. <laughs> since he's got a one-track mind i was gonna uh i was gonna uh, straight to the zucchini jim, for gene jim, jim had done a a uh petty uh petty deep cut so i was gonna do one off of hard promises which is my favorite oh album yeah list. yeah and it's uh it's a song that's actually on the b side of the album called something big it's about mm-hmm. what that's you think is a what you think is a dope deal but you're not exactly sure but uh mm-hmm. But it was, yeah, that was a good, good set of lyrics, man. The band played great. And the, uh, I really love those B3 sections in there, man. He had those sites where he, it was like church, man. He hit like a double two-handed chord and just let it swell. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, anyway, all right, Jim, you're up, man. All right. Uh, I got two more. Should I do both of them or just Yeah, one? do them both. Uh, that doesn't matter. Do time is, time okay. is of the essence right. now. Okay, so, so my next one. Uh, we went down south for the last two. Now we're going to the Jersey Shore and to Bruce Springsteen. Oh, yeah. And okay. I am not, I mean, I, I, I very much like Springsteen. I've seen him, you know, half a dozen times or so. So you don't and, really like him all that much. You've yeah. seen him saw a solo acoustic tour from Second Row Center here in Austin, which was pretty amazing. Boy, I'm jealous. Uh, but uh, so this is from Born to Run. And wow. uh, yeah. I think I think of meeting across I didn't the river. Think that thing had any deep. Well, I, I think I think I think of the I think of the the the, the you know the cut you hear on classic meeting rock radio. Obviously, the, the title track, Tenth Avenue Freeze Out. Right. Maybe Jungle Land if the if if the DJ has to take a break. My my pick is my pick is she's the one. Oh, okay. which she's the one from from. Uh, she's the one. one. It's you know I'm sucker for Bo Diddley beats. And yeah. It's, it's a Bo Diddley beat, and I'm picking this because even though Springsteen is known as a as a as a lyricist, I don't think the lyrics to this song are all that. But I think the the, the melody music. and and the way Springsteen sings it, and the way I assume it's Steve Van Zandt is doing the harmonies, and Steve Van Zandt's harmonies, and the way the band sounds. Yeah, it just to me is a quintessential Springsteen song, and and he does play it live a lot, uh, but just that Bo Diddley backbeat and the, you know, the the piano figures work in it to me. You know, sometimes the E Street Band is a little piano heavy for my tastes, but uh, and it works on this. I just think it's one of my favorite Springsteen tracks, and most of the times I've seen him live with the E Street Band, he's played it. I, I just think it's a terrific, terrific song uh, uh, off of you know a landmark album. Jim, I would have bet a dollar that you were going to say "Meeting Across the River." <laughs> well, that's a that's a that's a that is a great deep track off that off that record. That <laughs> a record nice too. little drug deal song is a, always yeah. a good one. 
But, Did I ever but tell to... you guys the story about how I saw him for free at the movie theater? Oh, yes. I'm so jealous again. No. <laughs> yeah, yeah so you did. I, I think you did. I was thinking about that very story when Jim was telling me. Yeah, you did and tell that just, one, yeah. yeah to, me, to me, that is just a, a quintessential Springsteen song. Uh, she's the one. It just, it just, I love it. I really do. Uh, so what's your last, other one, Jim? Well, my last one is from the Clash's album, London Calling. Woo! which has sold like 5 million copies. I didn't know it had sold. Yeah. But I uh, looked it up. But, you know, I think of Train in Vain, uh, the title track, obviously, cool, right? and uh, Working for the Clampdown. Those are the ones I hear on, at least on XM Satellite Radio, those are the ones that, I, that, that seem to be the lead tracks. So my deep track is called Death or Glory. Mm -hmm. oh, okay. uh, the, uh, <laughs> almost, almost every song on that record uh, is a, is great is is very very good to great i mean it's it's one of my two or three favorite albums ever uh but to me death or glory is is one of the best songs on the record it's got lines that i wish i could repeat but i can't right uh, but uh <laughs> something or other about nuns about nuns so uh, joe stromer's musings about life and success and what life does to you if you're a musician or just a person and how things how things just change and just great great lyrics great melody uh fantastic production um it's you know anyone who doesn't you know and london calling is just such a diverse record uh you know it's got punk rock it's got you know pseudo jazz it's got rockabilly it's got some reggae it's got so much to offer it's a it's a fantastic record uh, and Death or Glory to me is one of the standouts. So that's my fifth one, The Clash, Death or Glory from London Calling. Great, great. Did every... Did Pat, Pat got a, got I, think I think we're all out. I think we're all out. Well, good, good. I wanted now, to say, uh, I wanted to tack on right quick that the, um, you guys have inspired in a future episode, I think that we should do one and just talk about Tom Petty. And talk about yeah, that'd be great. Uh, yeah, you know, and and not hard. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, and I will talk about my favorite Tom Petty album. Guess which one it is? Guess which one it is? I don't know. Wildflowers. Uh, oh, that's uh, it's such a great record. Yeah, oh it's a God, fantastic. It just changed my life when it came out. And uh, back to what we may even do a future show about that little old band from Athens, REM, because uh, when you we were talking about them. And I recalled going to see them at the 40 watt and all before they were famous and they were so good and everything like that. But I remember in college, we were playing a lot of uh, early stuff and I just loved that song, Wendell G so much mm -hmm. and don't go the back to Rockville and all that stuff was, um, one of the guys that was one of my roommates in college actually turned me on to them he he was buying all the 45s so he had a 45s and the b-sides and all this stuff that we had never heard before he's the same guy that turned me on to the dbs and uh, elvis costello and uh, just so many wonderful things that some old country boy from spartanburg had never heard <laughs> so i'm very thankful to sander for that so that's going to wrap it up, but next week we'll be, we'll be talking about the greatest live albums ever recorded in our humble opinions, which tend to kind of reflect one another for some reason. 
but uh, let's, we'll let's see. Go we'll ahead see. and guess now which of our other two panelists, Jim or, or Patrick, which list will lie from Budokan? <laughs> which of <laughs> well, I already had that on my list. Yeah. I already had that on my list, <laughs> you know, too. Yeah, because it's going to be on at least one of their lists, probably both. Right. A, yeah, <laughs> that I, I burned that eight track tape up driving between here and Atlanta so many times. But uh, I think Jim and I might ha- Jim and I might have to have a sidebar between now now and then. To, so y'all uh, so y'all's list aren't I'm, exactly. I, I'm, I'm just gonna have a bunch of backups in case someone gets this. And, <laughs> there and you I, go. That's and smart. I, and smart. I, I bet you, Jim, me and you have have at least one in common, and I have a particular one I'm thinking about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Oh well, thanks guys for everything. We're gonna go out with a. Uh, uh, aforementioned artist named Carla Bonoff and the song is called Falling Star and you guys take care stay safe socially distance wash your hands wear your mask and for God's sake keep on rocking boom later
Man, oh man, I love that song. That was the great Carla Bonoff from her first album, the self-titled Carla Bonoff album back in 77, and a beautiful song called Falling Star on the Kudzu Radio Hour. Well, folks, thank you again for tuning in today, and I want to thank my uh, partners in crime, Billy, of course, and Jim, and Patrick. Good guys, them guys is. <laughs> <laughs> most of the time, you know, most of the time, like all of us. But uh, anyway, the uh, Kudzu Radio Hour was brought to you today by the Boxmasters, that little old band from L.A. who have a brand new album out and it's red hot called Light Rays. And it's getting rave reviews all over the place, man. And uh, Light Rays has a hit single out already called Breathe Easy. And I, there's a whole box full of other great tracks on the album. In my opinion, it's the best album they've done. And they've done a bunch in the past 10 years. The album will be available on CD, vinyl, and downloads in September. There was a little bit of delay because of everything. But uh, it's going to come out in September. So uh, stay tuned for for that. Mark your calendar, too, because the summer tour had to be postponed due to the COVID virus, but next summer, they're going to hit the road, and they're already chomping at the bit. They're going to hit the road not only in the United States, but also Europe. How about that? Read all about the new album, the tour, and much more at theboxmasters.com, and follow them on Facebook and Instagram. The show is also brought to you by the fine folks at Springer Mountain Farms, fresh organic chicken responsibly raised on family farms. With no antibiotics, no hormones, no steroids, no animal byproducts ever. Get more information on that wonderful, good-tasting chicken at SpringerMountain.com. SpringerMTN.com. Now, you can have, you can buy it in your grocery store, or you can order it. You can order it from the website, and they'll, they'll send that cold pack right to your front porch. How about that? Man, that's the way to do it. No contact. <laughs> Not only is Springer Mountain Chicken healthier for you, but it tastes very, very good. And I'm going to tell you, as a fan of Springer Mountain, I like nothing better than to put on my Boxmasters records and to have me some Springer Mountain Chicken <laughs> and Fog Hat wine, too, I might add. Uh, yeah, that's true. Fog Hat makes wine. We'll talk about that later in the upcoming show, too. I want to invite you all to uh, please uh, visit SaveOurStages.com and sign up and do your part to try and talk to the uh, powers that be in government to make sure that we don't lose our stages and our live entertainment. It is the bread and butter for so many of us and uh, not only performers but for 
audience who just loves live music. We all do, right? Saveourstages.com. Also, write to us about anything. If you got ideas, opinions, you want to send us money, anything like that, write us at kudzumag at yahoo.com. That's kudzu is uh, K-U-D-Z-O-O-M-A-G, kudzumag at yahoo.com. And that, as they say, wraps it up. There is no Paul Harvey page two. That was it. <laughs> Until next next week. Join us again next week, same bat time, same bat channel, on most of these kudzu radio networks. Wait, there's only one. Thanks, guys. Bye.